Our reading today is Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 23. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Karen. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Go ahead and grab your Bible, and you can up, open up to Romans chapter 6 if you haven't already, or turn your Bible on, or whatever it may be. If you need a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the seat pocket there in front of you, so go ahead and find your place there. Uh, if you're a guest, or maybe been away for a few weeks, we're walking verse by verse through this great book of Romans, and we come this morning uh, to really one of those mountaintop chapters in the Bible, Romans chapter 6. We began there last week, and this is kind of part two of a message that walks through the entire chapter of Romans 6. So why don't you go ahead and find your place there. Uh, if you don't know, just kind of a reminder, uh, we've provided resources. We're really diving down into this great book as a church family together. There's a reading plan that you can follow along. Really helpful for you to have read what we're going to be walking through on your own. So that's available on the app. You can pick up a paper copy. And uh, also Wednesday nights, great opportunity. Just a reminder, we have something called Behind the Message Every Wednesday night at 6.30, and you say, what do you do? Well, we go behind the message. We get a little bit deeper into the Sunday morning message. We take some questions. There's an email uh, behind the message at tcbchurch.org. You can send us questions. We'll try to wrestle with those a little bit together on Wednesday night. But a real good place for you to connect in the life of our church if you haven't found a place to connect already on Wednesday night at Behind the Message. All right? So let's dig in together. Romans 6. We're going to be around verse 14 and 15 in just a minute. But let me... Let me kind of set the stage this way. You, you may not realize it or know it, but your life has been impacted by a man named John Newton. You may have no idea who John Newton is. John lived in the 1700s, grew up in England. He was a sailor. He made his living as a slave trader. He engaged in the heinous industry of going to the continent of Africa and taking slaves and taking them back to England. That's what he did. That's how he made his living. He was known as the African blasphemer. He was a wicked man. Even of his own testimony before he came to know the Lord, he said of himself, he said, I was capable of anything. 
I had not the least fear of God before my eyes. It was John Newton. Until he was in his mid-twenties, that was his life. But when he was in his mid-twenties, he was on a a voyage one night and a storm came up and God just wrecked him literally and exposed him to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that forever changed John Newton's life. So this wicked, ungodly man heard the message of the book of Romans and the gospel that declared God justifies the ungodly. It changed him forever, the message of the gospel. And it was said of John Newton after that, and I hope this is challenging to us, that he was never able to get over the wonder of his own rescue by sheer triumphant grace. May we never be able to get over the fact that we've been rescued by grace. And John Newton was so moved by that, later in his life he wrote a little song, maybe you've heard of it, called Amazing Grace. We've all been impacted by that song. Now, one other quote that John Newton made that I want to kind of begin our message with this morning is so impactful for me. And John Newton, as a follower of Christ, understood not only that we begin and live and we're, we're in the grace of God, but there's this ongoing struggle of this thing called sanctification. God transforms us. One day He's going to make us like Himself, but there's this middle ground in between where we're in process. That's where we're all living if you're a follower of Christ. So John Newton made this great quote about that, and here's what he said. We'll just start with this. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. He said, I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, talking about when Jesus returns. But he said, but I'm still not what I once used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. Amen? I mean, if you're following Christ and walking with Christ, that's kind of a testimony of you that you're not who you used to be. You're not all that you're going to be, all by the grace of God. We are in process. We're in this work of sanctification that God has declared us by faith to be right with God. That's Romans 1 through 5. We've talked about that. We've walked through that. Then on the basis of nothing that we bring to the table... On the basis of nothing we could ever achieve, God declares us on faith alone based on what Christ has done to be right with God. Glorious reality. That's the heart of the gospel message. Then you get to Romans 6, where we're going to be this morning, and he takes those glorious positional realities and says, okay, what about Monday morning? (laughs) What does it look like on the workplace? What does it look like in the classroom? What does it look like in your marriage? Because remember we said one of the hopes as we walk through Romans is that we will see the implications of the message of the gospel trickle down into every area of our lives. Every area. So Paul in Romans 6 is going to deal with this idea of sanctification. This truth that who God has declared us to be in Christ, righteous... He's working that out in our daily lives that we're practically righteous in every area of our life. That's a process. You're in that process. I'm in that process. What does all that look like? Very helpful, very practical, very Monday morning reality. Now, last week we began Romans 6.1, and and this is, again, this is kind of part two of the message. So let me just back up real quick and, and remind you. Paul began last week with attention. And and we've all had this tension before, and the tension was basically this. 
and the glorious, lavish grace of God, if, if we're made right by the fact that we've done nothing, by, by faith alone, does the lavish grace of God give us license to sin? In other words, if, if there's not a thing we can do in Christ to change our position before God, we are in Christ, justified, made right, then could that be a license to just say, you know what, just go out and do whatever you want, live it up? Because Paul's already said in Romans 5, he said, where sin increases, grace abounds. So the thinking might be, well, listen, you want to experience more grace? Just go sin. Paul deals with that last week. We looked at that in Romans chapter 6. He says, he answers it this way. He says, may it never be. Absolutely not. You don't understand the the grace and the gospel of God. And he answers it this way. He says, do you not know? And that's when he goes into this great teaching that we saw last week about the reality that we as believers are in union with Christ himself. We are in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. We share his very life. In fact, when he went into the grave, Romans teaches like we saw last week, we went into the grave with him. When he died, we died with him. When he rose from the dead, we rose with him. Death is defeated. Sin is no longer our master. We are now alive to God in Christ Jesus. These beautiful realities of who we are in Christ and Paul's argument is with all that reality how can you even think as a now transformed human being that you would even want or possible to go back and be who you used to be you are a new creation in Christ so Paul deals with that tension now this week he introduces somewhat of a new tension in verses 14 and 15 and he kind of deals with them in the same way they sound like almost the same thing but they're very different I'm going to tell you Every one of you in this room who's trying to follow Christ has dealt with this tension Paul's going to roll out here. So the tension is basically this. Okay. If the lavish grace of God makes me righteous before God and I can't do anything to improve my standing because it's all in Christ, then what in the world does obedience have to do with the Christian life? I mean, if, if the law of God no longer has jurisdiction in the sense that Christ has perfectly fulfilled it, and I've met all the law of God in Christ, what in the world does obedience to God have to do with anything in my Christian life? Anybody ever thought something like that? I mean, my obedience cannot improve my standing before God. It can't take away from my standing before God because I didn't earn it to begin with. Can't lose it. It's in Christ. What in the world's obedience have to do with the Christian life and Paul's going to deal with that here so look at verse 14 he introduces it this way he says sin will have no dominion over you that's good news by the way amen has nobody else struggled with sin this week like I have sin does not have dominion over you amen that's good he says for you since you are not under law but under grace in other words the idea is that expectation or the obligations of God's law have been fully met in Christ he has fulfilled the law so therefore we've met them in Christ that's good news God deals with us on the basis of grace what we could never earn what Christ has achieved therefore verse 15 there's a tension Paul says what then are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace 
And here's what Paul's basically saying. Again, what we, just what we said. If, does the lavish grace of God free us from any obligation or responsibilities? Is there any call to obedience? What role does obedience to God play out in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ who's been justified by faith alone? Paul deals with that here. And I'm going to tell you, this is so practical to our lives. Because I, here's the notion. If you've never said this, you've thought this. Listen, man. Don't drift over into the obedience, legalistic stuff. It's all about grace. Now listen, it is all about grace. But grace is in no way in opposition to obedience to our lovingly Heavenly Father. There's, not an, there's no opposition there. Sometimes we think that and we, we think, well, is it grace or is it obedience? No, no, you'll see how those work together beautifully in the life of a Christian. So Paul says, verse 15, by no means may it never be. In other words, grace does not equal disobedience. In fact, grace gives you the freedom to obey the Lord Jesus Christ, who you were unable to obey before because of your sin. So Paul, why do you make that argument? How can you say that, that obedience plays a huge part, if you will, in the life of a believer, even though we're completely made right with God by faith and faith alone? So verse 16, he's going to deal with it. Follow along with me. Some of these verses get a little thick, all right, so just hang with me, and these are going to help us. Verse 16, he answers it kind of like he did in the, in the beginning of the chapter. He says, okay, if that's your question, may it never be, verse 16, do you not know in other words, for you to have that understanding of grace, there's something missing in your understanding of the gospel. There's some truth that maybe you don't know yet. He says, do you not know? And here's a reality of every human being on the planet anywhere. Whether they're a believer in Christ or they're not a believer. This is a truism, if you will. This is a reality of all of life. He says, do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Don't you think about that for a minute. Paul's basically saying, and we're going to press this out because this is his argument. He's saying, listen, you can claim whatever master you want positionally, but on Monday morning and the practicality of everyday life, whoever you are offering yourself to in obedience on a daily basis, that's really your master. That make sense? That's Paul's argument. You claim any master you want, but practically your master is the one whom you are obeying. He goes on, he says, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, obedience to God, which leads to righteousness. Bottom line is every human being has a master. One of the realities of being a finite human being is you're not ultimate, you're not infinite. There will be a master in our lives. This idea that we can be our own master as a finite, limited human being is absurd. We're not ultimate. So all of us will have a master. Timothy Keller said it this way. Being saved does not mean you're free from having a master. <laughs> so here's the big truth we're going to kind of operate from. And this is where Paul starts in verse 16. Remember, this is you're studying your Bible. We try to pull out these big truths. This is the big, main, overarching idea. And then he's going to support it with these other ideas. So what's your big idea here, Paul? Or what's your big truth? Here it is. Ready? Our master is whoever we choose to obey. 
Our day in, day out, Monday morning master is whoever or whatever we choose to obey. Back to verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Pastor Mike, I'm not sure I get all this. Well, let's, let's kind of break this down. So Paul uses a word here. He says the word present. If you present yourselves, your translation may say something like offer or something along those lines. The word present means to place beside or to put at one's disposal or to offer, to yield up. It's speaking to the will. Beginning of chapter 6, Paul deals with all these things that God has done on our behalf. Then he says, okay, now you as redeemed, set free from sin... You present yourselves no longer to your old master's sin. You offer yourselves up to your new master, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Present. Offer yourselves. Let me give you a couple illustrations of this. You probably know this guy for his robust theology, Bob Dylan. You may know who Bob Dylan is? (laughs) If you're over 30, you may know. If you're under, you're like, I have no idea who that is. Traveling Wilburys, Bob Dylan, that helped, didn't it? Okay, so I'm not going to sing, but he wrote a song. And again, Bob Dylan is, is not known for his belief in the inerrancy of Scripture, okay? But here was his song. It was titled, You Gotta Serve Somebody. His song lyrics went like this. He said, but you gotta serve somebody. You gotta have somebody to serve. Indeed, you're going to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Now, I don't think Bob Dylan read Romans 6. Maybe he did. But it's a human reality. You're going to serve somebody. And whoever you are offering yourself, or whatever you're offering yourself, that is your functional master in your life. There was another author that said it really well. I thought her name was Rebecca Manley Pippert. She said it this way. says this, whoever or whatever controls us is our Lord, little L. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. And you can fill in a number of other things there, obviously. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord, little L, of our lives. And that Lord is whoever we obey, whoever we offer ourselves up to in obedience. The book of Joshua teaches this to the children of Israel as they were going back and forth between the gods of the land and the one true God. Joshua said this, Joshua 24, 15, very well-known verse. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether you're going to serve the God of your father or the gods of the land. He says, as for me and my house today, we will serve the Lord. We're going to offer ourselves up to our new master, the Lord himself. So that's kind of a big idea, and that's what Paul's going to build out on, and that's a functional reality for every one of us. Your master is whoever you're obeying. You look over your week that you just spent, whoever's calling the shots ultimately in your life, your flesh, your job, ultimately, whatever it is, whoever you're offering yourself up to, ultimately, that is your master. So Paul says, let me give you some application of that. I'm going to give you a few big ideas that flow out of this. Big idea number four. You say, what happened? Did I fall asleep? No, remember, this is continuation from last week. We had a few last week. This is number four. Big idea number four. We choose daily to obey sin or to obey God. 
The word present is, again, it's a, it's a word speaking to the will of the human being and primarily the believer who's been set free from sin, who now has the freedom to obey God because we've been set free in Christ. So he's speaking to believers. He says, we choose daily to obey sin or to obey God. Verse 16 again. Let's go back. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul says basically it boils down. You can be serving sin. You can be offering yourselves up to sin. Or you can be offering yourself up to the Lord. That's the two ultimate masters. He also makes reference here clearly that there's a battle going on. We talked about this last week. Paul's very clear that we've been set free from sin. Sin no longer has authority in our lives, but it's not gone yet, right? It's not eliminated. Sin is still present. There's still this battle. But Paul helps us with this in verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God, even though we were formerly slaves to sin, you were once slaves of sin. It's a reminder in the past tense that in Christ, sin is a defeated master, but not completely eliminated. Here's what Paul is saying. When we as believers offer ourselves to sin, we are offering ourselves up to that old defeated master who really has no authority in my life anymore. So when we are, let's get real practical, right? So when we choose to live in bitterness and we choose to rehearse why we have every right to be offended toward that brother or sister in Christ, we are choosing to offer ourselves up to a defeated master called sin. Paul says it's not even who you are anymore. You have a fundamental new identity in Christ. He goes on, he says, middle of verse 17, you who were slaves of sin, you have now become obedient from the heart. That's a beautiful phrase, from the heart, that your obedience to your new master God is not some drudgery or duty. It is from a transformed heart because the gospel has fundamentally changed who we are. He says, you become obedient from the heart. Not this random truth, but the message of the gospel. Your heart has been shaped by the gospel. You have been transformed. You have new motives. You have new desires. You have new want-tos. You desire things you didn't used to desire before. You hate things you didn't used to hate before. What is that? That's all evidence of a transformed life by the gospel. Now listen. By implication... Paul is also saying, if there is not transformed energy, empowerment, a desire to obey your new master, the Lord Jesus Christ, if that fundamental change is not there, you must at least question if you've ever been transformed by grace at all. Because he says it's from the heart. Listen, brothers and sisters, the message that we share and the message we hold out is not some law code over our head that people have to come up under. It is the message of a God who loves you that changes you from the inside out. It is transformation. And there is no other message like it. Paul says, thanks be to God that you were slaves of sin. You didn't even have the capacity to obey God. You didn't want to obey God. You didn't want to honor God. But now you've become obedient from the heart. 
to this message and been shaped by this message. See, the gospel changes us. The gospel transforms us. Titus, the book of Titus says it this way, Titus 2, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, the gospel, teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope in the appearing of the great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a transformed life. That's not someone who followed the law code and got it all right. That's someone, John Newton, that we read about who was ungodly and was transformed into a new man by the grace of God but through faith. See that? So Paul goes on, he, he says this. He, his contention is if you've really experienced grace, then your desire to obey your new master is going to be there because you've been transformed by grace. Now, I didn't use this illustration in the first service, and I hope it comes out all right, but here's the illustration. What happens in the life of a bride when she stands at the altar and her husband looks at her and says, Sweetheart, I'm committing my life to you. No matter what you do, no matter what happens, I will love you, I will care for you, I'm giving my life to you, I will never divorce you, I'm giving everything to you, no matter what you do, I'm giving 100%. Paul says, when we experience a grace like that undeserved from God, it transforms our heart and our life is offered up to that kind of master. Some would say, no, 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 no. You offer something like that to somebody, they're going to go, well, great. If you're going to love me that way, I can go out and live any way I want. woo Paul says, no, no, no. That's not the way the grace of God works. When you're exposed to the lavish nature of God's undeserved, infinite love for you, no matter what, it is transformative to our lives and our motivations change and our hearts change and we willingly offer ourselves back up to this God. That's the gospel. So Paul goes on, he continues on, he says, verse 17 and 18, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness, you have a new master. The Lord Jesus Christ is your new master. Now how does this play out? So okay, Pastor Mike, I think I'm getting this idea of whoever or whatever I present myself to, that's my functional master, but then Paul takes it to a really next level and makes it very applicable, and here's what he says, he says, okay, in the life of a believer... There are natural consequences in our lives on Monday morning throughout our week. If we choose to offer ourselves to sin, there are going to be consequences in our life. If we choose to offer ourselves to our Lord, our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to go somewhere too. How does that play out? Painfully practical to us. Look, verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms here. He says, this analogy I'm using of slaves and masters, this is not a great analogy. I'm speaking in terms that maybe help, help you with it. He says, for, so let's even talk about what you were before Christ. He says, for just as you once presented your members, and by the word, Paul uses the word members to talk about the place where sin operates. We, we sin with our members, our mind, our eyes, our thought. For just as you once presented or offered your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, what happened? Paul says, what was the outcome back then when you offered yourself up to sin? Paul says, it just led to more sin. In other words, it got worse and worse and worse 
So now present your members to slave, as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Two more big ideas and we're done. Here it is. Big idea number five. Obedience to sin leads to more sin and finally death. Now this is going to feel kind of heavy because it's intended to balance out the reality that in Christ, by faith, the ultimate penalty for our sin has been laid upon Christ. There is no ultimate condemnation for our sin. We are justified before God forever and ever and ever. But on Monday morning, if I as a redeemed believer choose to sin, there will be consequences in this life. And Paul says, don't take the grace of God to walk down a path that's going to cause you harm and destruction now. Sin is still a distortion of God's best. Sin still takes God's good design of whatever it is and twists it and distorts it. And to think you can follow that path and there'd be life on the other end is foolish. Sin, if it were a currency, the only thing sin can buy is death. It may not look like it. And it never appears that way. Sin dresses however necessary to fool you and lure you in. But Paul is saying here, obedience to sin leads to more sin and finally death. It is still a cruel master that is never satisfied. This idea of leads to more is the idea, it's a picture. John MacArthur said it this way, like a vicious animal, sin's appetite only grows when it is fed. So if we foolishly think we've got that subtle deception in how we spend our money or how we report our money or whatever it may be. I'm just giving you an example. If we think we've got that under control, Paul says, no way. Sin always leads to more sin. Always. Unless in Christ we call it what it is and confession and repent of it and turn from it and receive the forgiveness we already have practically in our life. You continue in it, sin only snowballs. Now, I heard this statement, and I don't know who I heard it from. It's an old statement. So in the first service, I said it's probably Pastor Gene because he's got an old guy. But anyway, this is a saying. It goes like this. You've heard this. Sin will take you further than you want to go. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you more than you want to pay. Always. So whatever ball of twine that you want to call sin that you're, becoming, you're getting entangled in and you think you've got it under control, sin will always go further and take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will always cost you more than you want to pay, brothers and sisters. And this is speaking to believers. Paul uses an analogy in another book of the Bible, the book of Galatians. You don't have to turn there. He, he uses an agricultural analogy of sowing and reaping. I mean, you, we live in Tennessee. You know what happens. If I sow corn seed, I'm going to get rutabagas, right? No, you sow corn, you're going to get corn, right? You say, I don't even know what a rutabaga is. I don't either. I, really. He says this when talking about our lives as believers. He says, do not be deceived. You know why Paul says that? Because we're easily deceived. Whatever we sow, this we're also going to reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, I got this under control, this is no big deal, I know that whoever sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
That word corruption is an awful word. It's the word of something rotting. It's the word of something going from where it is, and its progression is to this rotting decay, and it decays everything around it. So the idea is sin only brings greater decay and corruption in your life. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Paul goes on, verse 21, he says, don't you be deceived. I'm back in Romans 6, he says, but back to your old form of life, what was the fruit you were getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? So as a believer, you want to go back to some of those old things that you used to engage in, whatever it is, whatever those just sins are. Think back, what was the fruit in your life back then? Paul says, listen, the end of those things is death. And again, this is going to sound very heavy, but I say this as a dad and a father and a husband and a pastor that loves you. Even as believers, when you choose to walk in sin, and watch, as Paul says, offer yourself up to sin, something dies. Something dies. Paul said, you continue in that, something's going to die. What does that mean? Let me give you some examples. When I choose to walk in a place of bitterness... A relationship will die. When I choose to walk in deception, my freedom and my joy will die. When I choose, you say this is very blatant, but it's practical. When I choose pornography, my capacity for true intimacy with another person dies. When I choose to operate outside of honoring my parents and the direction that my parents has given me. And yes, I'm primarily talking to our younger people here. When I choose to operate outside of the umbrella of protection my parents have given for me. You say, they don't know what they're talking about. They're old-fashioned. They're old fogies. God has established that umbrella of protection and provision for you. And when you choose to operate out from under that, blessings and opportunity die. And all the parents said, amen. There was a fellow in the Old Testament named Samson. Samson was chosen of God. Samson was empowered by God. Samson was set apart by God. He had incredible strength. He was a crossfitter man. He, not, not real. You get it. He was a strong dude. He was a judge of Israel. Samson chose to disobey his parents and yield to his flesh. And he went where he knew he shouldn't be. He went to a woman he knew he shouldn't pursue. And he went to that woman. And that woman ultimately led to his power being taken, his opportunities being taken, and ultimately his life being taken. All in direct opposition to the counsel of his parents. And Samson's name means bright one. And Samson went and fell in love with a woman named Delilah. And her name means to extinguish. The light of the bright one was extinguished. Sin brings death. Something dies. That's true in our lives as believers. But at the same time, Paul is saying you can offer yourself up to sin and here's always going to be the result maybe not initially maybe not in a month maybe not in a year you sow that seed and it may not bear fruit for two years but something will die 
But at the same time, Paul is saying, you now as a believer have the freedom to do whatever you want. No, that's not the point. To yield yourself to the God who loves you and walk in obedience to Him who has a perfect plan for your life, who never deals with you outside of anything than love and has a plan for your good and your flourishing. And you now can walk in obedience to that God. You have been set free from who you were and now been given a new life in Christ to walk in obedience to your Father. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, we have a new master. The fruit you receive or get leads to sanctification and to its end eternal life. Listen, brothers and sisters, here's what that means. Practical daily pursuit of obedience to the Word of God, empowered by grace and the Spirit, yields life. Life! Don't believe the deceptions. Life! As I was reading through this morning, I just came across some verses, and I thought, I'm just going to read these verses over you as the promise of when we walk in obedience, now empowered by grace, empowered by the Spirit to our Heavenly Father who loves us. Listen to these verses. You don't have to look them up. Just listen. Joshua 1.8 says, as Joshua began to lead the people of Israel, it says, this book of the law, God's word, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night and be careful to do all that is written in it. And then... Then your way will be prosperous and you will have success wherever you go. Obedience to the word of God brings life in our daily lives. Psalm 1, listen. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in obedience or the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. In other words, you'll be like a healthy, flourishing tree by streams of water. You'll be a source of life. That's what God says. So who are you going to offer yourself to? Your old defeated master that leads to death or now your new master in Christ Jesus and his word that gives life? Psalm 119.45, I will walk in freedom for I have devoted myself to your commandments. Jesus said it this way in John 15.10, if you keep my commandments, if you keep my word, If you keep my instruction, that's not a yoke, that's freedom. He says, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. It's the place we daily experience God's love, His provision, His goodness in our life. He's given us His commands as a gift. And we, by grace, are free to obey our Master. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. What is that? Those are the characteristics of Jesus Christ. As we walk in obedience, Paul says, the very life of Christ is pressed out through us. The old practical is gone, and Christ's likeness begins to be who we are in this life. Is grace a license to sin, Pastor Mike? No, Paul teaches pretty clearly that grace frees us to obey our master that loves us and our master that has good for us we're no longer slaves to sin we've been united with Christ we're not who we used to be 
We're not who we're going to be. But we are in a process of walking day by day, empowered by His Spirit, transformed by His grace, and He is chiseling away the old and leaving nothing but the picture of Christ in our lives. Thanks be to God, we are experiencing sanctification. And we're becoming more and more like Jesus as we walk in obedience to Him. I'm going to ask the team just to come on up. We're going to enter into a time of response. The glorious news of the gospel is we were dead to sin, but we've been made alive in Christ. We were dead in our sin, and we've been made alive. Jesus rose from the dead. We rose with him. When he died, we died with him, and we're no longer slaves to sin. And God is transforming you daily in who he's already declared you to be in Christ. Would you just bow your head for a minute, and let's respond to the message of the gospel this morning. Our team comes and plays. I just want you to be challenged by the word from Romans 6 this morning. You, You may be here this morning, and you realize, you know what, I, I've been deceived even as a Christian. And I've somehow confused grace just to be a license to sin. And i got this junk in my life and I've offered myself to a cruel, defeated master. Your step of obedience this morning may be simple confession. Call it what it is. And repentance, Lord, give me the strength to turn from that. This morning, obedience to your Heavenly Father may not be important to you. One, you've never been transformed by the gospel of Christ, or you've just drifted. And this morning, it may be, Lord, change my heart. God, create in me a fresh hunger to walk with you and to obey you. I may be here this morning, and the message for you is the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you do not know Christ this morning, After we sing, a team of people, even during the song, a team of people are ready to meet with you right through those doors to the left at the hub. If you want to know what it means to know Christ, someone to pray with you, you get out from your seat and you go to that hub even while we sing. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.